Look, if God had felt a love for you, but actually done anything about it, we would all have perished. It's a very good morning, a very warm welcome uh, to the message of Church Online at Sour Fellowship this morning. We hope that you enjoyed the worship playlist that we've been sending out on YouTube uh, for you to worship in your homes uh, each week. And we hope you will join us on Zoom at 11 to kind of just to say hi, to, to let people see you. People are so encouraged by one another when we get together. So we'd love you to join us on Zoom at 11. This morning then, uh, we're starting a brand new study through the book of Ruth. So we've just read from Isaiah. You want to go back a few books in your Bible. You want to go back through the wisdom literature, uh, through Proverbs and the Psalms, and then through some of the history books, Kings and Chronicles and Samuel, and you're going to get to Ruth. It's just after the book of Judges, kind of tagged onto the end as a little appendix. Uh, to the book of Judges and it's going to be four weeks we're going to look at a chapter a week and I'm very much looking forward to this it's a great little book often used to dish out some very strong moral lessons do this don't do that uh, but we want to preach and teach it with a Christ-centered lens so I'm absolutely convinced it's going to be a great four weeks and it's a wonderful book I read this week that it's like a theological work of art it's beautiful in how it's put together and it teaches us about God therefore a theological work um, of art in this book then the next four weeks uh, we're going to see tragedy, we're going to see boldness of people, we're going to see loyalty to the extreme, generosity in giving and serving, and the, we're going to see the grace of God. And we're going to see that ordinary events, things that you don't even feel like mean much, ordinary events all come together to lead to extraordinary conclusions. So the small things that you do and say and choose or don't, every day, can all come together for an extraordinary conclusion. And this book finishes with a genealogy, kind of a list of whose dad's 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 dad somebody is. And that might seem like a really strange way to finish uh, a book of the Bible, but there's a wonderful conclusion. And uh, we'll get there in three, four more weeks. And uh, Ruth is one of the two books in the Bible named for a lady. Uh, we've written a devotional series and published an ebook on the other one. Uh, maybe if you know what it is, you can drop it in the comments down below. Uh, two books in the Bible named after a lady. And uh, this one, Ruth, uh, she is, or she, she was, is Ruth's a Gentile lady who married a Hebrew man. The other book named for a lady uh, was a Hebrew lady who married a Gentile man. So they kind of got this opposite thing going on. They're both wonderful books and uh, they both teach us a great deal about God. So who is in this book? Who are the main characters in this story, so to speak? Well, there are three main people around which uh, this story, this narrative, this account, this historical account takes place. First is Naomi the widow. Second is Ruth, uh, a lady from Moab. 
So we can call her Ruth the Moabite and uh, Boaz the farmer. So we've got three main characters in this book, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. What are we going to see then? Well, as, as we kind of just mentioned, we're going to see that we're going to see how God is involved in the day-to-day things of your life. How things happen, when things happen, why things happen. All these things that on their own, maybe you don't, you, you don't feel like they're, they're, they're a big deal. They're just, you know, it's a place you went or it's a person that you saw or it's a, an interaction that you had with somebody. But when you look back and you add them all up, you see that they can lead to extraordinary conclusions. And the big thing, the big, big thing in the book of Ruth, I'm gonna suggest to you all right now, is that how is love put into action? So as we're reading through Ruth, I really encourage you to read the chapter before Friday at 10. We're gonna see, and I want you to look for, how is love put into action? So there are things from the book of Ruth for you and for me to take, to learn from, and to apply to our lives that, from the events that happen here. Of course there are, because we read, don't we, that, uh, that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the people of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So yes, there are practical things to do and don't from the book of Ruth. We don't need to pretend we're in the story because we're not. But we look at what happened, we look at the outcomes, and then we apply the principle to our own life. Well, I wonder if how would that look in my life? You don't need to pretend that you're Ruth or anybody else in the story because you're not, you are you, and that's great. So there's, there's stuff to take out for sure, but at the core, more important than you, more important than me, is what the book of Ruth teaches us about Jesus. He said, didn't he, more than once, that everything in this big book, every book that makes up the big book, is about him, teaches us about him. Because when we think that, when we think that this is about us and for us, we take it as a bit of a to-do list. And we, we can stray into thinking, well, look, God, look at all, look at all the things that, uh, that I'm able to do. Look at all the things that I can do that these people failed to do. Look how, more, look how better I am, how much better I am than the, than the people here. And if you've been with us on a Tuesday night looking at judges, uh, you will know that there are some definite things to avoid there. And yes, you should do better uh, than these people. But when we read the Bible as being about us, we end up thinking, "Look, God, look at all the stuff that um, look at all the stuff that I can do for you. Look at how well I am following you." The, the list, the Christian to-do list. But when we read the Bible as being about Jesus, which is actually what He said it's about, it's not some radical idea that I've just made up. He said it's all about Him. We take our eyes off ourselves. We stop thinking about ourselves and saying, look God, look at all the stuff that I've done for you. And we look and we say, wow, thank you for all the stuff you have done for me. All the stuff that you are doing for me and all the stuff 
that you will do for me. So yes, Ruth is going to inform us to do some stuff and to stop doing some things. It's going to inform us, but more than that, it's going to transform us because it's going to reveal to us more and more and more about the person and the work of Jesus. So yes, things for you and me to do. No, not the main point. Uh, where did all this happen? Most of it happened in Bethlehem, uh, most often associated with the place of Jesus' birth. And uh, some of it happened uh, in a place called Moab. Uh, Moab was just a neighboring territory uh, to God's people's place. When did this happen? Well, notice with me chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So this happened during the time of Judges. So the book just before Ruth in the Bible is Judges. And again, if you've been with us on Tuesday night, you probably, this is bringing a bit more color to it. If you've not been joining us for Jesus in Judges, a Tuesday night Bible study, we're going to run it again, starting in a couple of weeks. And we really sincerely encourage you to join us. It is a massively thought-provoking, challenging look at the Bible and ourselves. So, the events of Ruth took place at the time of Judges, and it's most likely when Gideon uh, was the judge. And we know that from Judges chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. And they were dark days for people. God's people were repeating this cycle of sin, oppression, crying out for deliverance, receiving temporary deliverance, a bit of temporary peace. And then they would, this cycle would just repeat. People were saying the right things, but there were very, very few people actually doing the right things. So periodically, during the time of the judges, people were talking the talk, but they were just not walking the walk with it. Part of that is that people are just people. They're people, we're people. People are broken, fallen, and, and sinful. And throughout the book of Judges, we read this statement again and again and again, that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So, you know, if we want a society that's going to regress back uh, and just descend into uh, nothingness, just a terrible place, if we want society to, to go backwards, then, you know, that's what we can do. Everybody can do what is right in their own eyes. Uh, we've we've seen it. We've seen how it works out. So you know that's something to do straight away. Avoid that. So today, then, we're looking at Ruth chapter one, and we are introduced to Naomi and to Ruth, two of the main characters in this narrative, this story, this account of what happened, and we are going to see love in action. We're going to look at what does it say. We're going to take a walk through it together. And then we're going to look at what does it mean for us. So, Ruth chapter 1. We're going to take a walk through it. So now grab your pen, grab a highlighter, your sticky note, your notebook, whatever you use to write stuff down and make note of these big ideas and these uh, historical things. So, we're going to walk through Ruth chapter 1 together. Verses 1 through 5, we're introduced to the family 
from which these events uh, come out of. And we see Ellie Malek, the dad, the husband, Naomi, and they've got two boys, Marlon and Killian. They go temporarily to work in Moab because things were really tough in Bethlehem. There was a famine, no food, uh, so things weren't going particularly well for them. And they took action about that. They did something about that, which is good. But instead of going northwest five miles to Jerusalem, around five miles from Bethlehem, they went southeast 50 miles to Moab. So they took action, good, but they went literally the opposite direction to from from God we can say you know the, the place where at this time the temple and his presence was kind of localized and amplified in that place so they took action good they went literally the wrong way ten times as far and they go and work uh, in Moab and we see that in verse 3 that when they're there sadly Elimelech dies the, the two boys get married to two Moabite ladies um, Orpah and Ruth and then sadly the boys die as well so now Naomi is left without husband or sons as a foreigner and Orpah, Naomi and Ruth are all childless widows which apparently at the time in this ancient world to be a childless widow was to be among the lowest and most disadvantaged groups of people. Full stop, period. There was nobody to support you. And basically you needed to live from the generosity of, of complete strangers. And then in verses 6 through 18, we see the loyalty of Ruth. If we were using Ruth for some good, old-fashioned moral lessons, we would probably just park the bus right here and talk about how you can be like Ruth and, uh, and, and stuff like that. But we're not going to do that, so we won't do that. Uh, 6 through 18, then we see the loyalty of Ruth. And Naomi hears that things are picking up back in the homeland, so she decides to return. She hears some good news she moves towards it she takes action and she actually does something she hears the good news and she does something about it physical action based she doesn't just hear it and think whoa that sounds great she does something to pursue this good news to put it into her life both of the girls set off with her, but Naomi counsels them to stay in Moab. Uh, notice with me, read with me verses 8 and 9. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lift up their voices, and wept. When we read here, deal kindly, may the Lord deal kindly with you, is this wonderful Hebrew word, hesed, and it has this idea of merciful, graceful acts from a higher power to somebody who is kind of weaker and less powerful. So Naomi is blessing these two young ladies and saying, look, I pray that 
God Almighty will, will bless you and be merciful to you with a less powerful uh, in that relationship. So he's Naomi's praying, Lord, he is so good, he is so great. I pray that he's merciful to you. Both of the girls say, no, we're coming with you. Naomi says, no, you should stay. I'm too old to have more sons for you to marry, even if I did. You know, are you really going to wait that long? No, she's asking a rhetorical question. She says, look, girls, off you go, back to Moab. There's no need for you to live the bitter life of a widow. Now, Naomi here is referring back to this old practice found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, where a brother, the, uh, the brother of a deceased male, was responsible to marry his deceased brother's wife give her a son and to keep that his, his, his dead brother's name and family line and inheritance going. So Naomi's saying, look, I'm too old. Even if I did have a husband, even if I did then have a son, you're not going to wait however many years to, 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 to marry him. So off you go, back to, um, back to Moab, basically. And uh, upon hearing this, Orpah leaves, but Ruth stays. Both Orpah and Ruth felt very deeply about what's going on. Both of them loved Naomi. In verse 9 and 10, there's this very loving, emotional interaction between the girls and Naomi. And uh, they, the girls, Orpah and Ruth, said to her, Naomi, No, we will return with you to your people. So they feel very deeply about what's going on. And they're saying the right things about what's going on. But when Naomi really laid it out for them what this is going to entail, Orpah stayed in Moab and Ruth clung to Naomi. And Naomi says to Ruth, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law in verse 15. And Ruth says basically, look, no way. Don't tell me to abandon you. I'm really, I'm, I'm committed to you. In verse 16, she says, don't urge me to leave you or return from following you. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. And so Ruth stays with Naomi. She's in it for the long haul. She is committed, loyal, and loving in actions, not just words. She's loving in her actions, not just words. And John Reed wrote about this, and he said that the events that followed, so basically the rest of the book of Ruth, the events that followed show that her life matched her confession. So very, very simply, Ruth here has talked the talk and now she is going to literally walk the walk with Naomi back to Jerusalem. Apparently, it's mostly uphill. So she's got this long, difficult uphill journey to go to live the life of a widow. She loves this lady. She loves Naomi and she's showing it in her actions, not just what she says. 
And then verses 19 through to 22, they get back to Bethlehem. They return. Everybody's so happy to see them. Naomi says, don't call me Naomi anymore. I'm no longer pleasant, which is what her name means. I'm bitter. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. I was full. Now I'm empty. I thought that everything was going right for me. I thought I had a good life. But God changed things. We read that in verse 21. Now I'm empty, she says. So they returned, Naomi and Ruth, and they come back to Bethlehem at the start of the harvest season, which sets us up very, very well for next week and uh, for chapter 2. So by way of a quick overview, that is what is happening in Ruth chapter 1. So what does it all mean? Is there a moral lesson in there for us? If we're looking for something to do, not to do, start doing, stop doing, change how we do do it, where's that in Ruth chapter 1? Well, we, kind of, we briefly touched on this, but the difference between Orpah and Ruth, the difference between words and actions is the big thing for you and for me in Ruth chapter 1. We don't want to demonize Orpah. We don't want to make her this bad guy character. But on hearing the difficulties that lay ahead of her, she left and Ruth stayed. In verse 10 of chapter 1, notice with me that they both commit to stay. They said to her, Orpah and Ruth said to Naomi, No, we're not going to leave. We will return with you to your people. But by the time we get down to verse 14, Orpah leaves and only Ruth stays. And it's here that we start to see Ruth's resolve. So if you are the kind of person that likes the bigger picture Jesus point, as we're preaching and teaching, and a little something for yourself from a sermon. Here it is. It's Ruth's resolve. Ruth's resolve to stick with the program, to stick with the plan, even when things got tough. Not only in word, verse 10, but in action, in verse 14. So just think. When things are really, really difficult for you, when you're going through a trial, a tribulation, something tough, and you, maybe you feel like you know, you're just, oh, it's all you can do. It's taking everything that you've got just to keep your head above water. And then something else happens. You, you, you know, you're kind of just keeping above drowning and then somebody throws you out something else really really heavy and that's it's just you know it's the straw that broke the camel's back it's too much for you and something else happens and it just kind of now you feel like you're sinking what do you need from people in that moment do you need a bunch of really nice words do you need some really positive affirmations i can see that you're drowning you can do it. I believe in you. You are strong, independent, confident. You can do it. Let me know when you're done and we'll celebrate together. You don't need that, do you? In the moment when your life is falling apart, 
You don't need positive affirmations from people, do you? You need people to put their love for you into action and to actually do something for you. If you're drowning and there's somebody stood on dry land next to you shouting, you can do it. That's not as good as if there's somebody stood there throwing you a life raft, rescuing you from your drowning. When we're going through dark and difficult and discouraging days, what we really need is not positive affirmation. We need people to put their love for you, for us. We need, we need people to, to show with what they do that they care. Because words are not going to save us. Words are great. We talked about words a lot uh, in the book of James. You know, it's a bit of a mirror to what's inside you. Words are... Well, you know, we read so many times in Scripture that words can heal, words can cut down, they can be like honey, they can be bitter. You know, words are important. Please don't misunderstand me. It's really important that you choose words that are consistent with your Christian confession. Yes, but as that old saying goes, actions speak so much louder than words, don't they? You know, do something for people. Physically, evidence for them what you say to them. Actions speak so much louder than words. So what do we do with this then? How do we adjust our lives? Well, just pause and just think right now. Who do you love? Who are you loving at the moment? Think of that person and then just think, what are you doing for them? How are you loving them? Are you loving them in word? Are you an absolute WhatsApp warrior? Or are you loving them in deed? Words are good, yes, please don't misunderstand me. Words are great. Do encourage people, do reach out to people, do use words for good. But when people really need you, when people really need something, are you loving them in word or are you loving them in deed, in action? Are you loving people with positive affirmations or are you loving people with positive actions? And when the going gets tough for your friends, for your loved ones, for your family, what do you do? What do you do for them? Do you love in words? Do you say the right things in promises? Or do you love in actions and in deeds? Do you do the right things for them? Or do you just say the right things for them? So is that where this ends with Ruth then? Is that all there is to Ruth? A good old moral motivation to do the right thing? Is, is Ruth... Is Ruth the true hero here? Are you the true hero here? Are you, the, are you the hero in this text? Because you are going to do something. You are going to love somebody in action. Not word only. Yes, love in word. Love in action as well. Is that, is that really what Ruth is about? But we said at the start, didn't we, that 
Jesus said a couple of times that it's all about him. I love John chapter 5, verse 39, that says, You study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them is eternal life. So look, you study scriptures, if I'm going to paraphrase, you study scripture because you think that in there there's some stuff for you to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus says you study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them, in the study of scripture, you possess eternal life. And then Jesus says, look, it's these same scriptures, it's these same scriptures that testify about me, but you're not willing to come to me so that you've got eternal life. So yes, studying scriptures is good. Taking moral lessons is good. Looking at what happened, looking at the consequence, looking at what people did, didn't do. And then adjusting your lives accordingly is good. But that on its own, loving people in action and not just word, isn't a fast pass to eternal life, is it? Lessons like that, you know, love in action, not just in word. Lessons like that make you and me and, and us, bigger picture, they make us the center of what's going on. But scripture shows us the savior. We read about the redeemer. So in Ruth chapter one, what is really going on? Well, when people need us, when we've got choices to make, action needs to follow it action needs to follow feeling or it's just hollow and fruitless we can all say the right words can't we and you know what some people and if this is you our prayer is that this is the last day that this is you some people are just content with christian feelings i feel like i love god and I, I, I feel like I love his, his word. You know, I, I feel like I like the Bible. And I feel like I like other people. Like, oh, I love, I love getting together with other people. Some people are very content with Christian feelings. But is that good enough for you? Is that good enough for, for you? individual you is that good enough are you happy with feeling like a christian and then just think what if god did that to you what if he saw you loved you felt like he wanted to be in right relationship with you despite your horrible, sinful, fleshly self. Sees you, loves you, wants you in relationship. Sees you, knows you, loves you, can see where you're heading, where your character and conduct is taking you. But he felt like he loved you, he loves you, and what about if you left it there? Just think, where would you be? Where would you be if God had feelings for you? And that was it. Would you be with us right now? Would you be sitting where you're sitting, marking up your Bibles, 
Would you be part of this wonderful church family? Would you be sitting listening to me right now if God had loved you in feeling but not in action? Would you be you, the you that we all know and love? Would you be you if God had loved you in feeling but not in action? You know, Paul writes to the Romans and says, look, nobody's righteous, not one. Nobody, nobody just gets it. Nobody just seeks God all on their own. Everybody has turned away. The first action never lies with, with, with you and me, with us. John writes that we are, we, we are us, the, the, the church. We are believers who love God because he loved us first. We can claim the right things, we can use the right words, but without action, John says, it's a lie. And all that to say, look, on our own, we don't start this action. We don't truly seek after God. So if he felt a love for us and did nothing, that's where it would end. We would still be nothing. Now, how glad are you that God saw you, that God knows you, that God loves you, that God wants to forgive you, that God wants to restore you and redeem you and adopt you into his family and actually did something about that? How grateful are you for that? And then just think, what did he do to show it? What did he do to show that he loves you? Well, John chapter 3 verse 16 is a verse that so many people know. But so many people just look at the second half of that verse. Believe in him and you won't perish, but you'll have eternal life. But the first half is, I'm going to suggest, is equally as wonderful. So you turn there in your Bibles with me. The fourth book of the New Testament, John's account of the, uh, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 16, in its entirety says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now John goes on to kind of expand and unpack this. But the first few words there are equally as important as the rest. For God so loved the world. is so often skipped over to get to the good stuff. Believe eternal life. But this is, this is how you have, this is why you have eternal life. This is what God did. This is the action that he took to show how much he loves you. The action taken to prove his claim that he knows you, that he loves you, that he wants to forgive you. The action that came from his feeling. You can translate this as something like, this is how God shows us that he loved the world. Jesus came, died, rose, and ascended. Look, if God had felt a love for you, but actually done anything about it, we would all have perished. 
If God had felt love for you but not done anything about it, we would all have perished. But because he acted on what he felt, as Ruth did here, we've got the opportunity to have sins covered, souls saved, to be forgiven, restored, born again, adopted into his family, raised in newness of life, and to inherit eternal life. So yes, work hard to love in deed and not only in word. Take the resolve of Ruth and come good on what you're promising, claiming and saying. Work hard to love people in what you do, not only in what you say, but friends, please never take your eyes off the truth that God has already done that for you. He loved you, he gave his only son for you, so that if you believe in him, you will never perish but have eternal life. You don't need to become a better Ruth. You don't need to be a Ruth for 2020 because the ultimate and truer Ruth already came and showed us the ultimate example of love in action. God the Son, God in Christ, dying on that cross for you. That was and always will be the ultimate example of love in action. Let's pray.